Welcome, everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource. Joining me is Mark Rupert. He's the CEO of Sigma Labs. And we also have Jacob Brunsberg, who's the Senior Vice President of Product Marketing and Strategic Relationships. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Jeff. It's nice to have an opportunity to speak with you again. So, so Mark, you know, you've obviously been on before, um, but for those um, that that don't um, know the company, can you just give us a brief overview of what uh, of what the company does, and then from there we'll go into what the the changes are that uh, we're here to talk about today. Of course, um, Sigma Labs is a software company. We're headquartered in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we make quality assurance um, and analytics software for the additive manufacturing industry, specifically 3D metal and polymer printing. Okay. And and so why is that important? Because it seems, you know, intuitively that, you know, with uh, digital printing it would be spot on. But is that not the case? No, it's not. Um, There are so many variables involved, from the printer manufacturer to the powder to the process to the power of the lasers, that um, it's tough to control all the variables and also break new frontiers on on a design. So when you take all those components together, uh, the risk of something going askew goes up exponentially. Okay. Now, you've made a a number of changes that we're going to talk about today. Um, the first thing that popped into my mind is, is why. I, I, you know, I realized that everybody had great hopes you know, for the industry and this massive adoption curve, and it, it's taken longer than anybody had anticipated. How do we know that we weren't right, but we're just early, and, and that these changes are, are what we should be doing? Well, the changes we're making are threefold. We're shifting this, the pricing of our technology, and then we're shifting the way we sell it, and we're also moving from a hardware to, to a software-only solution. And I'll give you the background and the reasons for those three changes and why we think now is the time that's appropriate for the industry. On the subscription pricing, um, one of the things that we believe is that if if we make it easier for the um, for the end user to buy our technology and use our technology as they increase their additive manufacturing or their printing process, uh, obviously we make it the barriers we lower the barrier of entry um, dramatically. Number one, uh, number two, um, from a a distribution perspective, we believe that the way to become a catalyst and increase and accelerate the adoption of 3D printing is to move the technology into the printer itself so it's an embedded component of the printing process as opposed to an added component that you add later on to the printer. Uh, That decreases the cost dramatically and also allows us to move to a software-only type of model. And so the distribution through the OEMs increases our leverage. The software-only model increases the ability to get the price down and distribute it on a more broad basis. And the subscription pricing lowers the barrier of entry for the end user, number one, 
And number two, creates a recurring revenue stream for the company going forward, which is much more profitable and predictable than selling a perpetual license with an integrated hardware-software solution. So we believe that the industry is at an inflection point where they're ready to accelerate the adoption and that these three things that we're doing strategically are going to help us become a catalyst and push that adoption even faster. Very good. I understand you entered the polymer market. Can you talk about that? Sure. Uh, Jacob, do you want to take that one? Yeah, certainly. So um, the the polymer market for us, um, while it may seem different on the surface, actually has quite a bit of synergy uh, for us. So uh, our our demand in this space came from our customers in the aerospace industry that were looking to have the same kind of quality monitoring and reporting uh, they had on the metal side for key functional components on the polymer side that also had high requirements um, uh, for safety. And uh, the the synergies and what our software does and can monitor were were very strong between the two. And so we we used... um, some early development customers to develop our polymer solutions so that you can have a facility, say, in the aerospace or medical industry that could monitor and analyze their quality across their 3D printing fleet, not just in their metal space, but also in their their polymer space, uh, which allows for a lot of process uh, stability, you know, across an enterprise versus just on one particular type of technology. So it was it was a, an opportunity we couldn't pass up um, uh, with a customer and uh, made a lot of sense towards uh, moving across modalities and really supporting the industry more broadly across materials uh, as well. So is that a separate product, or will one product uh, handle metal as well as polymers? The the software feel is going to be very much the same. Um, it certainly is a little bit different products because you have, you know, different uh, materials you're dealing with. So there's some differences in maybe what you're looking at from a quality perspective that vary from metals to, to polymers. But the idea of, of monitoring and being able to create quality reports based off of process control, that feel and that user experience is going to be you know, almost exactly the same. Um, now, I understand uh, Materialize has become an OEM. They're not an OEM, Jeff. Uh, We've had a relationship with Materialize for a number of years. And uh, as you know, they're a a large software player within the additive manufacturing market. And they have a control system called the Materialize Control Platform that they market to um, printer manufacturers. And we've integrated PrintWrite 3D, our quality assurance system and analytics, with their control platform. And we announced the other day that we've demonstrated closed-loop control, which then allows our technology, when it sees something happening with the end product as it's being manufactured real-time, to send a, a message to the printer itself to address whatever issue might be causing a, an anomaly that we see that could cause a defect in the part going forward. So. They don't sell our technologies in OEM. We co-market the technology together, and we collaborate relative to the advancement of closed loop. Okay, so I'm a little confused there. So is it one software product that will have both the benefits, or you're each marketing each other's software product? 
uh, we're each marketing or we're selling our own as an integrated solution to an end user. Mm-hmm. So we'll identify a prospect on our side, and if it's a new OEM who's looking for a, a control platform for their printer, we'll introduce, materialize, and vice versa. Okay. And then again, on closed loop, is that limiting the types of machines that will benefit from the software, or am I understanding that incorrectly? No, that's a great question, and I'm going to have Jacob answer that, given his background as in uh, in the OEM world. Yeah, I, I think what you're seeing in this materialized uh, announcement is really kind of a, a really profound demonstrator of the fact that uh, the accuracy and the, the real-time response is getting to a point where you actually can make changes in the process. Um, this isn't limited to just one controller on the market. We have a strong partner in Materialize, but the same theory of closed loop can be applied really across the industry as a whole. Uh, and you know, We're excited to, to take uh, kind of what our feedback can give from a monitoring perspective and uh, see what kind of impact it can make on the market today. Okay. And then are you still going to be selling hardware or just uh, software now? We'll sell an integrated hardware-software platform to the end user in the retrofit market. So if you, we have an end user that has X number of printers and they want to um, install our quality assurance and analytics software with those printers, we'll install an integrated hardware-software solution. It's really an edge computer that hooks up to the printers. When we're working directly with the OEMs, we'll move to a software-only solution. And you will see our business model shift over time where the majority of the revenue, probably about 70%, will come from OEMs, and the majority of that revenue will be software only. Okay. So as you make that shift, how far out is the crossover, would you imagine, where the the new revenues, given it's uh, a smaller monthly versus a larger sale, uh, take place? It's in about two, two and a half years. Uh, that we actually cross over. And if you look at the pricing model, um, in year one with a subscription-type pricing, uh, your profits are co- your costs are high and your profits are very low. In year two and three, your profit goes up tremendously. And years four and on, it goes up even exponentially after that. Um, from an OEM perspective, we expect the software-only model to begin to take effect this year, and from an end-user perspective, two years out. Okay. And then are are you targeting additional OEMs? Yes, it's a major part of our strategy, and we've come up with an aggressive OEM program, which I'll ask Jacob to to introduce to you. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, The the partner ecosystem is going to be a big one uh, for us. So, uh, certainly, from an OEM perspective, uh, we really would would like to support the OEMs in the marketplace and expand our footprint with some some key partners. Econity 3D was a new one uh, for Print Right Ready that was announced um, uh, here in the the not so uh, recent past, um, and we expect uh, to continue to deliver uh, in that space. I think additionally, there's a another value stream in the partner ecosystem as well in the software world. So if you think of your MES uh, providers to the the industry, um, we're kind of a key analytics engine that becomes a piece of those puzzles as well. 
uh, as some of the simulation tools and things like that. So I think we have a, a really good runway um, for good partner integration and, and continued kind of expansion on our footprint and reach uh, in the marketplace as we go forward. Okay, so this is a, an ignorant question, but are, are the OEMs the equipment manufacturers themselves is it making printers, and then you're going to be uh, designed into that? Yeah, that's that's correct. So today we're we're working um, uh, on exactly that, allowing them to uh, incorporate the the hardware into next generation printers, where we can really be the the focal software analytics uh, side of that uh, as a software company. Okay, so. Would somebody be buying the software automatically when they buy a machine, or do they have to activate the software? That really depends on the relationship we're able to build and how quickly we can get the price down to the point that uh, it can be a, an embedded non-optional feature with every printer being shipped. Uh, I think at the beginning you're going to see it being an option, uh, but it will be a, an embedded option that they can turn on. In the future, I think it will be like other features that you saw in computers that used to be options that then became embedded non-optional features that actually come with the printer itself. Okay. And then I read you're doing something with Auburn University. Can you touch on that? Sure. Uh, I'll give a little background, then I'll ask Jake to talk about the funding sources and so forth. Uh, Auburn has a center of excellence for additive manufacturing, and they've been very active um, in their promotion of the technology and also research and development, and also instrumental with standards and uh, setting standards, particularly for aerospace and space exploration. And um, we just uh, entered a relationship with them to collaborate um, towards the goal of making space travel and uh, air travel safe, safer in the future uh, using additive manufactured parts. Um, and Jake, if you'll explain the funding source for that. Yeah, so a lot of this is to service grants from uh, NASA and the Federal Aviation uh, FAA uh, group. Uh, that attack just that, that, that Mark commented on uh, making uh, aviation and aerospace more safe and uh, working towards standardization, uh, which I think addresses a comment you made earlier on, you know, why are we starting to see an industry shift? I think the need for standardization and the advancement of standards is a, is a leading indicator that it's uh, becoming a more broad manufacturing technology and that there's a need to, to kind of create those standards for, for quick growth. Uh, amongst the rest of the industries that may have may maybe haven't adopted as aggressively as some uh, today, so really good sign. And excited to be working with them uh, with some really great grant uh, organizations that are are funding some of their work. So lots of good things happening over there. Um, have I missed any of the the big changes? No, I think those are the majority of the changes. I'd just like to talk a little bit more about the inflection point and some of the things that Jacob just mentioned. If you look at the software industry and, and when it really took off, it's when standards were developed where collaboration across software point solutions uh, happened and then the integration of those point solutions into a system that increased the overall efficiency and optimized the process. And that's what you're beginning to see within the additive manufacturing industry, going from standalone solutions without standards to standards that make a difference to the integration 
of all the way from design to simulation to quality assurance, which we, which we do, back to post-processing. And as that focuses on increasing and optimizing the process, the costs go down, the quality goes up, the yield goes up. And you see a, an inflection point, uh, really a step function change in the adoption rate. And that's what we saw at Formnex in Germany in November, and that's what we see continuing to happen. And that's where our focus is, is on partnerships, both with OEMs and with the software companies that are in that continuum uh, to, for additive manufacturing to increase the overall efficiency. So years ago, I believe that for polymers, it was the dental industry that was a catalyst for spurring on adoption. Are you seeing any specific industries that are helping with additive manufacturing? Jake, you want to take that one? Yeah, yeah. I think um, dental certainly is a big one in polymer. I think in the metal space, um, the kind of two leading um, bodies today are uh, aerospace and uh, implants for medical. So I'd say kind of your your more impactful design, impactful uh, items, your higher cost points um, that could make, you know, a bigger difference. But the benefit of that, I think, in metals is they're highly regulated industries. So they did so with a lot of uh, real focus on execution. And so they've solved some pretty hard problems, and now uh, the standardization uh, within that should really open the door for a lot of manufacturing to know, A, it's credible and it can be done in a very regulated and very uh, safety-critical industry. Um, and as that standardizes, it can be expanded into more uh, mainstream manufacturing uh, with, with high degrees of confidence. Okay. So let's move on to uh, some of the investor questions, if we can. Uh, some sure. You might have uh, answered, at least in part, but but let's see what we have. Um, first one, additive manufacturing, especially uh, 3D metal printing, has been slower to move into serial production than anyone imagined. What signs do you see or what's changed that make you feel like the industry is accelerating and the true potential uh, will be achieved? Yeah, I think, Jeff, that goes back to the comment I made earlier. When you look at the collaboration, the standards, and the integration across the entire process to optimize it and get costs down, uh, that is happening much more quickly and aggressively now than it's ever happened in the past within the industry. And, again, when you compare that to other industries, that is clearly an inflection point that should increase the acceleration of the adoption. Okay. And I think they're referring to the printers themselves with this question. They're asking, can you give me an example of how your pricing has changed and why it's beneficial to both the customer and Sigma, your product? I'm not certain in that, with that one. Yeah, no, I think that's our product. Um, traditionally, we sold a perpetual license that I mentioned earlier. And I'll walk you through an example. Um, a perpetual license, let's say that the discounted price for one of our systems was about $110,000 for the purchase of it. Uh, that would come with maintenance and support in year one. Year two and three, they'd pay a 20% um, maintenance support charge. So if you take that, that's about 134000 to the customer uh, that the customer pays to us over a three-year period of time. 
and it's a big ask up front for 110,000 when they just probably spent 4 or 500,000 or a million dollars on a printer. The subscription pricing that we introduced um, takes that down to between four and five thousand dollars a month on a three-year contract, and so the first year they would end up, we would end up getting sixty-three point sixty-three thousand, and the subsequent years fifty-five thousand. So the net to us over the three-year under a subscription model is one hundred and seventy-four thousand versus one hundred and thirty-four thousand under the perpetual model. So it does two things. For the customer, it lowers the barrier of entry. Instead of a capital expense of 110000 up front, they're paying four to $5,000 a month, depending on the, the configuration. And for us, um, instead of 134000 we take in 174000 But the real key here is once you get past year three, you continue to generate that revenue that you generated in year two and three were under, under a perpetual license, you would only be um, generating maintenance revenue. So it's a lower barrier of entry for the customer. It's higher profitability and more revenue for Sigma. Sounds like a win-win. So uh, next question is, what types of partnerships do you envision, envision establishing over the next year? And uh, why is that important? Jake, why don't you take that on the partnerships? Sure. So as we talked about before, um, more and more integration with OEMs uh, as we go forward uh, in, in capacity at the big uh, focus. So 3D printer manufacturers, you know, working to, to support them and become an embedded software solution. Um, the, the second thing, uh, kind of the problem that we talked about was on the software side. So really um, being an active member in the continuum and uh, contributing towards lowering that total cost structure of 3D printing. So um, you see a lot of, a lot of work in, in that value chain and workflow of connecting 3D printing into traditional like MES and, and factory operations. And so that will be a key area for us to to establish our relationships there in the software world as well. And, okay. and there, both those things are important uh, for, one, establishing our software-only solution, and two, you know, really becoming a, a leader in, in helping the adoption of additive manufacturing and accelerating that over the next couple of years. Okay. And um, you mentioned uh, Materialize as a partner. Uh, are you working with for uh, for other closed loop uh, systems, we're working with several manufacturers relative to the next generation of their their printers, and I think everybody is moving towards a closed loop type of environment because that optimizes the whole process. So yes, we're working with several for, uh, regarding their next generation. Okay. Part of their question though is how is it important in terms of uh, selling. Uh, multiple uh, systems? That's a great question because if, if you take the perpetual license where they're paying up front and let's say they have um, three printers and one's a quad laser and one's a dual laser and one's a single laser, they would put out a substantial amount of capital to outfit each one of those printers with one of our integrated software hardware solutions. Under the subscription model, that goes from 
$4,000 a month roughly times three uh, for $12,000 a month versus putting down a quarter of a million dollars or more. So um, it should encourage multiple licenses um, uh, much more quickly and easily than the perpetual license. And today, a lot of the engineering manufacturing um, VPs or managers of operations um, can put three to 4000 a month on a credit card. And so the difference between putting it on a credit card and getting a monthly bill versus doing a capital expenditure for 100 to $300,000, um, that's a big difference to the end user. And in the long run, as I said, creates a recurring revenue and makes a big difference to Sigma. Okay. And what's been the gating factor towards, um, you know, more partnerships? And, and why have you guys been successful with the, the partnerships you do have? Um, when you say the gating factor... Well, um, what's holding I, back? I think really uh, holding back has been the cost of the solution itself, number one. And number two, as I mentioned, this move to collaboration is caused the printer manufacturers to begin to look more holistically at being able to lift the whole additive manufacturing industry and focus on their core competencies as opposed to keeping closed systems. And um, I think that's held back the whole industry, and it's held back us somewhat because we're the third-party agnostic solution that goes across those printer manufacturers. And in the past, they wanted to keep that purview to themselves. And uh, Jake, um, coming from OEM, why don't you give your perspective on that? Yeah, I, I think you hit a really key point there is um, in order for this industry to grow, uh, customers need to be successful. And so I think you've seen some announcements uh, in the marketplace now from CEOs of, of uh, equipment manufacturers talking about the move to open architecture uh, and trying to really enable customers to move quickly and uh, establish standards and support them. That goes hand in hand, I think, with our ability to start driving key partnerships today is to you know, take our group, which is really 100% focused on quality uh, in additive manufacturing, uh, really help enable and be a partner in, in that space and really expand uh, those equipment manufacturers' ability to deliver things. Um, and I think there's a, a more of a willingness to, to open up and do that uh, with each other today than there ever was, um, especially from a, a customer-centric point of view. Okay. And, Jeff, that's a really important Point. When you see technology begin to focus on solving an end user's problem at a very low price point that's very unobtrusive to the end user versus technology for technology's sake, that's when you see the real efficiency and optimization um, come, come into play. And that's when you see it take off. And that um, focus on solving an end user problem quickly at a low price point is really coming true because of the collaboration and the standards. Okay. Um, just a, a couple more here. Um, Why did you get into the polymer market? And uh, it's a much lower end. Uh, isn't it uh, non-mission non, uh, critical parts? I think Jacob um, addressed that a little bit. Um, Jake, you want to expand upon that a bit? Yeah. I, I You know, I think with, with every uh, type of metal or polymer, there are ends of the spectrum of the marketplace for sure. Um, 
So there are, you know, cheap injection molded components, um, and then there's much more complex pieces. And I think what drives uh, a lot of our synergy in polymer is is that rooted uh, uh, focus on customers and verticals that have uh, mission critical or safety critical components is, is kind of a really key factor for quality um, that uh, we do support both on the metal side and, and the polymer side having those same kind of safety critical pieces. So for us, the entry into the market was very much in a synergistic space. It's uh, uh, an ability to, to not only grow and scale with a customer on the metal side, but also to, to grab some more footprint and make their operations easier by also solving polymer side items uh, as well uh, for, for kind of those mission critical uh, type components. So for us, there, there's a lot of overlap. The market is big, but for us, that segment really is focused on um, you know, quality critical components. Yeah, okay. and I think it's, Jeff, I think it's important that people understand and investors understand that it's the same vertical and the same customer, and this gives us the opportunity to sell multiple products across multiple materials. And for a large manufacturer that has a supply chain that they're managing, um, we're able then to not only provide quality assurance across metal but polymer. And so if you look at the parts going into an airplane, uh, they're made of metal, they're made of polymer, ceramic, and other type of um, materials. And a manufacturer who's managing a supply chain has to look at the quality of all those components. So um, the focus on the customer and what they need across materials and processes makes it uh, much easier to sell than thinking if we we're going after a different vertical or after a whole different industry. Makes sense. So... Lastly, uh, you know, we sat down uh, about a year ago, and uh, Sigma looks uh, much different now. If we look out two, three years, what's Sigma going to look like? Well, we're going to be much larger and much more influential in the industry. I think we'll, we will have to find uh, what quality and analytics are when it comes to additive manufacturing. Um, we talked about the model itself. We'll be much more a software company. We're... 70% of our revenue come from OEMs as opposed to end users. And the only thing that won't change is the culture that we've developed as a company uh, that really allows us to attract and retain some of the brightest people in the industry. Well, it certainly sounds like you're well-positioned, and I appreciate you taking the time to share all that today. Thanks, guys. Jeff, it was, it was a pleasure. I appreciate the questions and um, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.